0: Really, uh, most fundamentally, we are completely transparent to life. This capacity we have to be aware, and to recognize and receive our experience allows everything to pass right through it. You may have the sense of that sometimes just in the quietitude of sitting here. The sound of birdsong maybe. Just a kind of a tweet, a moment, a kind of ephemeral quality a brief moment of experience whether it's heard like bird song or in fact seen or remembered or felt in the body or whatever it is that for a fleeting moment of experience just arising manifesting leaving the sense of transparency that we start to get when we really see that everything, every experience we've ever had, every experience we're having moment by moment, happens right here, within awareness. If there's an experience that's outside of awareness, we can't have it, right? Try having an experience outside of awareness. Anything you think of that might be, fulfill that case, where does it arrive? Oh, here, it's known, it's received. So common sense somehow tells us that we move through life. But actually, if we look with a, a, a kind of uncommon sense... our direct experience is much more like life moves through us. And that we start to recognize and allow and enjoy and rest into that more and more as we let ourselves be receptive to life. this is a practice in many ways of simple receptivity. Allowing. Opening to. Receiving. What's happening. So we we come to a a practice like this, we come to a retreat like this, somehow called to that kind of transparency. The freedom of a relationship to life that doesn't get stuck, that doesn't feel like a doing battle with, a negotiating with, a struggling with, There's something, I think, very inspiring. If we reflect on what, what is our heart most responds to in the idea of freedom and awakening, we might experience that as this um, non-stick relationship, we could say, with life. So, to focus our attention on what's happening is to expose ourselves either to that transparency, to expose ourselves to this um, spacious, allowing, free awareness in which things move freely. Or, it's to expose ourselves to whatever seems to get in the way of that. We're either in contact with uh, the unproblematic movement of experience and the way that can open up and expand or we're in touch with some sense of problem, some sense of sticking, some sense of getting caught by. And that's the way this practice works on us, in fact, is by daring to expose ourselves to that sticking, both in the uh, the solitude of being here, both in formal meditation practice and in all the other moments of the day. Having this orientation towards, oh, simply being here, simply breathing, simply walking, simply eating. And then noticing what seems to get stuck in that. What sense of... uh, Contention, or struggle, or stuckness, seems to arise, and we expose ourselves as we've been do- as we've been starting to do in the afternoons here, in the contact with another. So the possibility of the kind of mysterious, we might even be tempted to say mystical, the possibility of a mysterious, mystical meeting with another being. And the possibility in that of a free exploration. Whatever question we might use, whatever form we might use, really... We're exploring, what is this? What's happening here? What does it mean to be conscious? What's arising in consciousness? What might get revealed and opened up if I really allow, if I really explore what's showing up in consciousness? And, of course, we might notice in that contact with another various pinches and squeezes, contractions, various bits and pieces of our life, of our mind, of our stories, of our history getting stuck, getting provoked, getting stimulated. And, you know, that's where the juice of this practice is. And yet, how easily, when there's something appears as sticky, as difficult, as confronting, as not fitting with the self-image I have, or not fitting with how I'd, the image I'd like the other to have of me, how it seems like I need to just somehow bury that, or turn away from it, or ignore it, something. So that's what I'd like to explore a little bit and what we're going to explore this afternoon. What do we do with the uncomfortable places that arise in meeting ourselves and in meeting one another? In other words, how do I go unconscious? How do I disconnect? How do I turn away from really fully, fully being here? And how come I turn away? How, how come I need to? How come it seems, it might not be too strong a word to say, how, how come it seems intolerable to be here? At least like this. We said, no, it's not. It wouldn't be intolerable to be here, in a different way. But not like this, please. There's um, this very classic formulation of the Buddha's, where it's a, a kind of um, what's the word? summary, synopsis, distillation of the, the 10,000 ways we avoid being here into three primary flavors, three primary pulls or pushes, three primary um, mechanisms by which we go unconscious, by which we react by which we disconnect from what's happening. So, you're probably very familiar, or many of you will be very familiar with with those three uh, mechanisms. The Buddha called them the three poisons of greed, hatred and delusion. And I'd like to look at them a little bit in terms of their affect, how they really show up, I sometimes call them the three D's. Demand, defense, and distraction. And there's also three C's. Compulsion, contraction, and confusion. And I I use that that terminology because I think, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean, I think there's a way in which we can get a sense of what it actually feels like to be caught in those movements. Which is a big part of starting to understand both how we get lost and how come. You know, why. Why we feel we need to go there. Why we need to be pulled out of ourselves. When I speak at, you know, Demand, making demands on life. There's an energetic sense of of a pull, of trying to to grab or get hold of or pull towards me something that's going to make it okay. So we start off, if we're inquiring into that, into recognizing the wanting. And of course it can latch onto anything. You know, lunch or, or the bell the bell becomes a great wish-fulfilling gem sometimes in meditation oh, if only they'd ring that bell then everything would be okay whereas in fact it would just mean walking meditation <laughs> and then halfway through walking oh, if only they'd ring that bell just for what? To come back to sitting. So it's clear, you know. Clearly, the bell isn't going to do it for us, right? You know, if it was, I'd just sit here ringing the bell for you. <laughs> so the one thing goes on to anything, but what's what's important then is once we recognise that that's what we're caught in, to feel the the pull. They're reaching out for often an energetically a sense of reaching forward. Sometimes you can actually uh, posture in meditation if you're really caught in a lot of wanting you actually le- you notice you're starting to lean forward as if you can get a bit closer to the, to the thing you want. Demand is a big way we go unconscious. Because implicit in the demanding is the sense that what's here isn't, isn't good enough, isn't worthy of attention, isn't going to be fulfilling. It's a kind of tragedy in that, in some ways. So in feeling the demand, in feeling the pull, we also get an opportunity to actually inquire into what the sense of lack underneath it. And the Buddha described this, this practice as the liberation of greed, hatred and delusion. And sometimes, I think we 'd much rather focus on the kind of wisdom and compassion and uh, freedom and love and these kind of beautiful qualities. but actually, wisdom and compassion. Sensitivity, receptivity. Those things kind of take care of themselves very much. They're actually innate in our capacity to be, when we're not checking out into the the demands, the defences, the distractions. So these things are really worthy of our attention you know we don't like to see ourselves as uh, greedy as demanding defensive and distracted i you don't know i wonder how many of us when we when we do our inquiry you know what's what am i aware of now right now i'm aware of being demanding or defended distracted but actually that's often what's going on right so it's, it's the invitation to name to be honest with, to explore, to start to really understand these movements so that they can free up. They don't free up by pretending they're not there or by hiding them away or by pushing them underground or by making them somehow shameful or wrong. I'm a Dharma student, therefore I shouldn't be greedy. Therefore I shouldn't be aversive. Or if I am aversive, I should at least look unaversive. <laughs> so you know, in 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 the context of our days here, we really have the opportunity, in many many different ways, to explore that the pull of demand, and then its opposite, of course, and aversion and defence, defending against, rejecting, pushing away. And the opposite of a pull, that sense of, ah, oh, this this isn't okay. This isn't tolerable. This isn't acceptable. Huge swathes of our life, in fact, that we end up in that kind of relationship to. And you know, a genuine inquiry into what we defend against and push away and judge as unacceptable really involves both honesty and courage. Courage, first of all, to actually stay with the thing that part of us just wants to get rid of, wants to push away. The inquiry offers us the opportunity to really cultivate that kind of honesty not just in acknowledging it to ourselves but actually in naming it naming the places where I get uncomfortable the places where I I kind of feel like I can't tolerate myself my experience. Really learning to recognize the pull, the push and also the energetic movement of distraction, of just checking out, getting lost, dull, dazed. Going round and round in some kind of old rerun of a tape we've played many, many times. Going to so, going somewhere which is you know might have some kind of vague attraction in the moment, enough to keep us in the loop and feel like it's it's kind of uh, uh, more worthy of our attention than being present. And yet afterwards, sometimes we may have spent great swathes of meditation in the kind of vagaries of distraction. And afterwards, not even remember much of what we were thinking about. It didn't have much of a pull. It didn't have much of a push. It was just lost, vague. There's also the model the Buddha speaks about in terms of the five hindrances to meditation, which are in many ways just a, slightly, just a kind of a slight extra refinement of the same movements. And just to see for ourselves what our own kind of top ten is, what our own tendencies are around the ways we go unconscious, the ways we disconnect. And no doubt, any of them that we mention, we can find a proclivity there. But you might find there's, there's certain things either generally running through the kind of themes of your life, or at least right now, you know, over these days in this retreat. At any given moment, what's the, What's the particular uh, energetic movement? One of demand, of defence, or of distraction. Now, there's there's a there's a sort of there's a typology that uh, sometimes people do around these types, uh, around these movements. So, trying to type yourself in terms of are you a greed type, a demanding type, a defensive type, or a distracted type. Greed type, aversive type, deluded type. And you, have, you could see for yourself if you might find some um, use in that or not. The main use I found seemed to be recognizing I was all three. Right? Which is, of course, we're going to find all three. But there may be a way that you notice if, I, if I'm somehow uncomfortable, if I'm somehow uneasy if, with what's happening... Where am I likely to go? Am I more likely to kind of get pulled into some, be seduced by something? That demanding movement, pulling towards. Am I more likely to get kind of defensive, reactive, negative, judgmental, harsh? I more, or am I more likely to just kind of lose touch, go vague, go unconscious in some way? So the, with the the um, five hindrances, the same kind of movements the Buddha talks to, um... What are they? Um, sense of desire, so that the pull towards, ill will, the push against. Uh, dullness, going unconscious. And then just the two further kinds of uh, elucidation of, of the distraction-delusion movement. It also speaks about restlessness, Agitation. It's so easy when we're feeling agitated to feel like it's because uh, there's something. Because it's something that needs to be done. Something that's more interesting elsewhere. Something, uh, some good reason why uh, I shouldn't rest with this. Shouldn't be here. Kind of justify the agitation in terms of its story. Agitation is often just a clue that there's something that really could do with our attention, and that we're somehow doing our best to not give attention, to give attention to anything other than this. All these movements get stimulated in the effort to avoid being here, as if, and this is the belief underneath, as if being here is going to be somehow um, well, fill in your own. You know, dot dot dots. There's going to be exposing. It's going to be frightening. It's going to be confronting. You know, it's it's quite it's breathtaking. How much energy we put into disconnecting, contracting, compelling all these movements. And when we start to really explore how come, when we start to really explore what is it that I'm trying to get away from, we might start to recognize that the very thing, the simple abiding here with what's happening, is the very thing that our heart most wants. It's what we we come to retreat for. It's what we love this practice for. It's a kind of absurd, tragic, or comic kind of paradox, but we're simultaneously most beloved of presence, of intimacy with life, of connection, of receptivity, and yet so much of uh, of those places where we get where things get sticky, are around defending against simply being here demanding something else other than just what's here distracting from just being here how well then we'd be served to really start to explore what is it that seems unacceptable frightening impossible maybe In staying where we are, how we are, like this. And then the fifth hindrance doubt Mm, the kind of painful sabotage of doubt. The stories we spin, the the, the the complexity we build up around doubt as a defence mechanism. Am, am I doing this right? Should it be happening like this? Or what, what did Shada say about, about about that? And you know, can I comparing that to my experience? Does it fit with what what was said? You you can maybe feel. I can certainly feel, as I say, that the kind of the the sort of tremors of doubt, how the undermining, uh, uh, disempowering nature of doubt. So these these reflections just offer us some ways to explore. How do I leave myself? How do I check out? How do I avoid this which actually I'm here for? This which life's inviting me into? This transparency, this openness, this free participation in life. One of the things that really props up a lot of these movements is our self-image. And all the history, our own history that feeds into our self-image. All the ways, all the exhausting ways in which I create these stories of how I need to show up. The way I ought to be. You know, how often do you manage to be the way you ought to be? Somebody was just saying yesterday in the feedback how relieving it was after saying, you know, I had zero tolerance for my mind. And then how relieving it was to, to hear somebody else with a similar mind. You know, our self-image makes it all about me. You know, that's a terrible burden to carry. It's all about me. I'm, I'm the one who can't meditate. I'm the one who, uh, who's uh, got this, that, you know. we this, uh, this sense that I have to carry my problems and my issues and my history and my relationships and my dramas and my practice. And... <sighs> my, my. Mm-hmm. So, this inquiry, whether in the solitude of a of meditation or whether than the interaction with others this practice really invites us to dare to confront our self-image to dare to trust our experience to dare to bring forth what's happening and shine the light of awareness on it to dare to actually pay attention to the demanding me that shows up or the defensive me that shows up, or the distracted me that shows up to dare to actually welcome that in, my name's Martin, and I'm demanding you know, it's that, that kind of uh, daring to show up in that way, one of the certainly for, for in uh, in my own experience of doing. Uh, relational inquiry practices, one of the things that's been the most relieving to me, the most freeing to me, has been kind of daring to disclose. Daring to bring forth the bits that I somehow felt like I had to keep, that I somehow felt were shameful, that, that needed to be secret that I somehow felt if other people could see that, something terrible would happen. Of course, I couldn't really say what that terrible thing might be, but all caught up with ideas of being rejected, being judged. And of course, the rejection and judgment was already happening. It was happening in here. I'm busy rejecting those bits of myself, judging those bits of myself. So relieving to let them be here without drama, without fuss, without rejection. I remember hearing Ramdas talk about this once. He said uh, something along the lines of, "In forty years of, of meditation and yoga and therapy and fasting and you know all manner of practices." He said, I haven't gotten rid of any one of my neuroses. I think he was exaggerating a little for dramatic effect. but you He says, but the difference is they're just not the monsters they used to be. He said, now I see them and I say, oh, hi. Oh, sexual perversity. He said, hi, come in. Come out. Taking some random uh, aspect of our inner life, some weird sexual thought, you know something that somehow oh, shameful, wrong, secret, dark. How that eats away at us. How relieving it is to dare to include our experience, however it is, whatever it's like. It's all welcome. There is no wrong experience. There's no experience you shouldn't have. There's a whole bunch of things you shouldn't act out. But there's no wrong feeling. There's nothing that we need to Reject, keep away, sit on, ignore. That's exhausting. It, it's hard. It, like I said, it really requires courage and honesty to, to, to meet what's here. It's hard to really meet what's here. But it's much, much harder to not meet it and to keep having it act on us through the pulls and pushes, the demands and defences and distractions, through all the, the reactive movements we do to avoid just facing ourselves, avoid just staying with what's arising. oh, let's see. Let's see what's arising. And of course, it may not be. I'm not suggesting that the demands and distractions and defenses are all that's there in the content of our experience. There may be a great deal of simplicity. There may be real delight there may be appreciation. Somebody was saying yesterday, I just was enjoying the, the, the simplicity of being here, the openness of awareness. And I wondered if I should look for some, something else. You know, we don't need to go digging for dukkha. If what you're in touch with is, is some sense of appreciation, openness, sensitivity, really let that be your inquiry. There's no limit to the way that can open up as we, as we let it, as we explore, as we allow. That's actually a, a kind of, one of the most fundamental principles, I think, of this kind of work, is that anything that we give space to starts to move starts to open up starts to reveal more of itself so let's see what's here and with the, with the real interest to see how do I move away from what's here and how come more than the particular mechanisms that I employ to, to disconnect? And what's, what's supporting those? Which might include the self-images, might include exploring and naming with our partner whatever kind of unease is there. We may be confronted by, you know, if you're feeling, oh, I'm shy with this person. It seems like because of the shyness, I've got to somehow kind of override the shyness in order to to, to kind of be here for them or be here for myself or show up in the inquiry. But the shyness doesn't go away by, by pushing it down. I'm so, oh, I'm shy. It's extraordinary how that which seems to be a monster before we say it, you know, like like Ramdas referring to his thoughts there, once it's named, it's like its power is 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 just it just goes out of it. So I'd just like to encourage you a little in the in the in the exercises to, you know, you have to see what you're comfortable. With, and how much you're able to trust the process, to trust the connection with your partner, and just the encouragement to kind of turn fearwards. I've found that to be a very, very helpful orientation. The bit that seems most, at li- like, least like I would want to bring it is often the piece that has the most juice Often, the piece that's the most relieving when I do bring it. So, let's uh, do a few exercises together. Yeah. Yeah. So We're going to do three questions, three repeating questions, today. The first one is, tell me a way you disconnect from your experience. For ten minutes each, like we did with the repeating question yesterday. Tell me a way you disconnect from your experience. So there might be some some stuff you you, can't, you already know about that, but just to really remember the spirit Shada spoke yesterday about discovery, just to see if you can really discover in real time, as you're meeting with your uh, with your partner, as you're hearing and receiving the question, what kinds of pushes and pulls are there what kind of uh, avoidance, what kind of uh, movement towards something or away from something might be there. So in answering the question, most primarily you're getting the responses from your direct experience, right there in the moment. I often find that really as the one who's answering the question most of the work most of the practice is one of just really listening listening to yourself sharda spoke about this 50-50 attention yesterday 50 in 50 out i'd say 90-10 <laughs> almost you know if you're really listening here the amount of attention you need to 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 come up with the words, is very minimal, really. So let the majority of your answering be a really listening to yourself. So that in the spirit of discovery that she was saying, you may find that you're really hearing the answers for the first time, that you're discovering in the process of reporting. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's what I do. Oh, I kind of knew. I kind of knew I did that, but as I'm saying it, I'm really seeing how... You know, da-da-da. Second question. What's right about disconnecting? Now, that may seem a little strange as a formulation of the question. And we might think, well according to what I just heard, doesn't sound like there's anything right about disconnecting. right? I seem to have been speaking great support of staying connected. But if that was really true, if we really fully got it that there's nothing right in disconnecting, we wouldn't do it. We disconnect because something in us feels that it's the right thing, it's the safe thing, it's the thing that's going to rescue me is to disconnect in whatever ways we do. So this question's really giving an opportunity to explore all those kind of underlying beliefs, all the justifications, all the ways in which part of us thinks we're going to save ourselves through demanding, distracting, defending. So is that clear? Yeah, what's right about disconnecting? disconnecting I think we're just going to do it short like that. Yeah. Well, tell me what you're just going to you like to add to your experience? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what's right about disconnecting from your experience? What's right about disconnecting from your experience? Yeah. Yeah, no. So you'll, like we did yesterday, you'll both do the first question. One will do for 10 minutes, then the other will do for 10 minutes. And then you'll both do the second question. Well it may come out like that but you don't I would say don't try and think back and join up the dots with the previous question but again see from whatever you're starting to find out and notice about your tendency to disconnect what did, what what's right what's feels right about it what's what is it that uh, that kind of compels or impels you to to do that so you may well find that there's a a correlation right the first and second question—one leads on from the other—but you don't need to kind of uh, don't try and make it fit, basically. Don't try and make it fit. Don't try and make it neat. Don't try and make it right. Let it come, and like I, I say, with the encouragement to go fearwards. You know, the bit—the bit that comes up—and you think, "Oh, I should self-censor that bit." I'd really encourage you not to. That's Because that's where I found the most benefit. The, the, the more you can not censor, the more you can trust what comes and not need to get it right, the more you can allow it to come out, even if it's a jumble, even if it's incoherent, even if it doesn't make sense, the more helpful it is. Because you know, you're not there to, to inform or enter, certainly not to entertain your partner. You're not there to make it uh, fit for them. You know, they're, they're there for you. The question is holding that space of awareness so that you can really explore. And just to, to use the, the, the gift of that space, 10 minutes, really just for you to see what's here, just for you to explore and to be held, honoured, received, allowed to explore by your partner. And then, the third question we're going to do as a looping question. So what that means, we'll do it for ten minutes again, but what that means is that one person will ask the question, then the second will say thank you, then they'll ask the question back. So you take turns asking each other. the question will be, what's it like to be connected to your experience right now? So, uh, one little clarification with this talk of connection and disconnection. Particularly with this third question. What's it like to be connected to your experience right now? You might feel, oh, well, I, I don't feel connected. I feel disconnected. Don't try and change it, then, into trying to feel connected, but feel the disconnection. Feel the sense of, oh, not connected. What's that like? Because in feeling it, you're connecting, right? We don't get there by trying to change this experience called disconnection into another one called connection. We get there just by connecting to whatever's here, even if it feels like disconnection. Yeah. Okay. I'll do that for today but please bring a pen and paper uh, in the future because we might not we'll, we'll change the way we do it over the week so that we might not always be here to remind you in between each qu- question and actually it's surprising how even if you're given the question right before you go ten minutes can be a great journey through space and time <laughs> and the question can get lost or subtly changed during the time so uh Maybe we'll. Are there a bunch of people? Maybe you could raise your hand if Managers. you have no. Yeah. means. Managers can help you with yeah. pens and paper. So should we, should we bring some pens and paper that we could leave up the front? Or yeah, yeah. So we'll do that from tomorrow as well. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Let's let's do that. Let's try and make it a. I know that there's sometimes queues for the loos, but uh, let's try and make it a, a little briefer than yesterday if we can, so that you just use the bathroom and come back. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.